I'd like to say I'm grateful to be able to stand before you this morning. I appreciate the prayer on my behalf, and I pray that I'll be able to uh, deliver the truth and the truth only from God's Word, and that you'll be benefited. Before we start our study this morning, I'd like to ask you a question. Why do you love Jesus? I'm not talking about the things that he's done for you, but I want it to be a little more intimate. I want you to think about his characteristics. I'm not sure that we think about that a lot, about his personality. What is it about him that you love? You know, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait till I could step in my dad's footprints. It didn't take long because he was short. And I'm tall, so, but I was excited when that day come because I was able to do that. I couldn't wait till I got to be his height. And it didn't matter when I got taller, I had finally met that standard. But what is it about Christ that we love that we want to be like? Do we want to be like him because we're told to be like him? Or do we want to be like him because we love him and we want to be like him, not just as a commandment? Think about that as we begin our study this morning. Keep that in the back of your mind. We'll cover a little bit more of that later. You know, we've, we've given a study a few months ago about what our purpose was. We talked about what it was and what it is not. And I would like to recap a little bit of that this morning. We talked about that our purpose here is not to be saved. Now that may sound like a surprise. But our being saved is part of what our purpose is, but it is not our purpose. Our purpose is not just to be a good person, just so we can say we've earned something or we're a good person in and of ourselves. The Bible teaches us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how good you are on your own, you cannot be good enough to earn the love of Christ. Now with Christ, you can be. Through Christ, all things are possible. Our purpose is not escaping hell or reaching heaven. That's a reward of performing our purpose. We often get caught up and many obey the gospel to escape hell because we're scared. And I'm going to tell you that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's what the scripture teaches. But that's not the extent of salvation. Our purpose is not of a physical nature. Your purpose here is not to entertain yourself. It's not to build fame and fortune. It's not to become popular. It has nothing to do with the physical nature of ourselves. If you recall, our purpose is glorifying God. And we do that through being like Christ. 
In 2 Timothy, the first chapter, beginning at verse 8, it says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Do you realize that God had a purpose before creation? And that's hard for us to imagine because we cannot think outside of time and space and understand it. But God was here before the beginning of time. And he had a purpose for us before he even created us. In 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, beginning at verse 19, it says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How much time do you spend thinking about the fact that if you're a child of God this morning, you are no longer your own. You're his. The scripture tells us we are bought with a price. We were purchased, and now we are God's. And there's responsibilities that come with that. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and verse 31. Whether you therefore ye eat or drink or whatever, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'm not sure that we realize the encompassing nature of this. Because sometimes I think that we don't have to glorify God. We can do what we want to do, and it doesn't matter who it glorifies. But that's not what this scripture says. It says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's no surprise that God had a purpose for you. Why wouldn't he? He was the creator. He did not set things in motion and then just say, here, have at it. I'm going to just watch you. I don't know how many of you have done this, but when I was a kid, we'd take a gallon glass jar, fill it with dirt, go to the ant bed, put a bunch of ants in it, punch holes in the top, screw it down, and then just watch them. And they built the tunnels and how they carried their food. God doesn't do that with us. We're not just placed here for him to watch what we do to no effect. He has purpose for us. You know, we are made by God, and we're made for God. And if we don't understand that, our life is going to be confusing. It's not going to have meaning to us. Romans 8 and 28. For whom... Oh, I'm sorry. And we, we know that all things work together for good to them who love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he did predestinate, predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. You know, predestination scares a lot of people. You can approach somebody and ask them, do you believe in predestination? Well, no, I don't. And when we think about that, we think about the fact that the religious world talks about predestination as God having such a purpose and such involvement in your life that you don't really have a choice what you do. If you had an accident last week, it was because God intended it. If you slipped and fell, it was because God intended it. If something good happened for you, it was because God intended it. And I don't believe that God micromanages our life. That's not what was predestinated. If we look, what was predestinated was that we are to be conformed to the image of His Son. If you're a child of God, He predetermined that you would be like His Son. That's our job. It's our purpose. Because when we do that, we glorify God. When we're saved, we glorify God. Because God was the author of salvation. And when we obey it, he's glorified. Everything is about Christ. That's the short of it. Everything is about Christ. The scriptures have been about Christ from the first letter to the last. You say, well, the Old Testament wasn't really, Christ wasn't mentioned. He may not have been mentioned, but he was there. He was there in every bit of it. Adam was the first man upon the earth to cause death to all men. Christ was the first man to give eternal life to all men. Abraham was a man of faith, and we read of the account when God came to Abraham, and he said, I want to make a covenant with you. I want us to join forces. I want us to be together. I want you to do this, and this, and this, and if you do that, then I will reward you. I'm going to give you a nation. I'm going to bless your descendants. And through your seed, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Who was the seed? Was it Isaac? Isaac was his firstborn from Sarah. But the seed that he was talking about was Jesus. Through Jesus, everyone's blessed. Moses became a spokesperson for God. God came to him and said, I want you to go back to Egypt. And I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Moses is an image of Christ in that he freed the Israelites from physical bondage. Jesus frees us from spiritual bondage eternally. Do you know all points of the tabernacle point to Christ? God was very specific in how the tabernacle was to be made. He gave very detailed instructions. When you think about the altar of sacrifice that had a fire burning on it day and night, 
continually going up before God, does that remind you of a sacrifice that was made from God's Son? That it is ever before God? And that he is making intercession for you? The laver that held the water for the priest to be cleansed, does it remind you that Christ continually cleanses us from our sin? The candlestick that was the only light in the holy place, does it remind you that Christ is the light of the world? The altar of incense that continually went up to, before God like a prayer, does it remind you that Christ is always there interceding for us? The table of showbread, does it remind you of anything? This table that's before us today? And showbread actually translates as table of presence. We're in God's presence. When we partake of this, he invites us to his table and we are communing with God and with Christ. There is nothing in the old law that did not point to him. The baptism of John pointed to Christ. The cross was made for Christ. The resurrection points back to Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Do you think God had a purpose from the beginning of time? I believe Christ was his purpose and us to be like him. There is nothing else in comparison that matters. Now we live in a world where everything else matters. In Romans 12 and verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Is it easy to be like the world? It is for me. Is it easy to be transformed? It takes some effort. When we choose that, though, Christ is with us and he helps us to do that. Young people, I'm going to tell you that it's easy to be like the world. And it matters who your friends are. And it matters where you hang out. It matters whether or not that you are living the high life and you look and live for the weekend so you can honky-tonk with your friends. That may be an antiquated term. I don't know. I don't know what they call it these days. But, Getting drunk is what the world lives for for the weekend. Hanging out at bars, doing things that they don't want anybody to know about 
outside of there? And you say, well, look, you don't, you don't know. Yeah, I do. That's the thing I do know. I'm not somebody that's not experienced that. And I can tell you the dangers. And I can tell you that what starts out as fun can wreck your life and destroy your family and cause your soul to be lost if you don't change from that. Now you may say, well, I can do this and this and it's not a sin. Okay, well, we won't debate that today, but let me ask you another question. Can you be like Christ in those situations? Because that's what you're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. And I've spent as much, as my, uh, as much of my life not being like Christ as I have being like Christ. And thankfully, it doesn't matter how far away from him you go, it's only one step back. That's the beauty of the mercy and the grace of God. And it's available to everybody. But I'm going to tell you what, one step away will lead to two. And two will lead to three because Satan is subtle. He was subtle with Eve. And he doesn't bring you the full picture when he tempts you with something. He brings you a glimpse a glimpse of the pleasure that you may feel. But he does not show you the heartache and the pain and the suffering and the death that sin caused. He didn't show it to Eve. What he showed her, showed her was something that she could fulfill in herself. So are we looking to glorify God or are we looking to glorify us? Glorifying us is not our purpose. You notice there's two choices in the scripture. Choose this day whom you will serve, as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Well, what if you didn't choose that? What would you choose? Well, it doesn't matter, honestly. If you don't choose Christ, it doesn't matter what else you choose because it falls in the bottom category of everything else. And that is not what we're called to do. Do you realize that Christ, we think Christ came just for us. Now I'm going to tell you, he did come for us, but he came to glorify God. He came to glorify his Father and in doing that, he did come for us. But I'm going to tell you that his purpose was to glorify God. It's our purpose today. Luke 17 and verse 33. I'm not sure how much detail that we think about in this scripture, but it says, Whosoever shall seek his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. What does that mean? If you think about it, I'm, it literally means you're going to lose something. 
There are things that you have to give up to find your life. Now, we're talking spiritually, right? To find our life spiritually, we've got to give up our physical self. How has this happened? It happens progressively. It's not immediate. When you obey the gospel, you are not all of a sudden everything that you should be in Christ. It's a progression. Paul tells us this. In Philippians, the third chapter, beginning at verse 10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He was serious. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark. Does that give you an image of someone that's already sanctified and complete? That's not what he said. He said, I press toward the mark. It's, it's, a, prog- it's a progress. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens when we choose to follow Christ. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of your life for following Christ, for being like him, is going to be a choice and not a feeling. Sometimes my feelings don't want to follow where I need to go. Sometimes they want to follow the world. But we have the truth, and we have a choice. We always have a choice. There is no one making you do anything. Now, I know that there are some extreme circumstances where people are made to do things they don't want to do. But I doubt very seriously that anybody's holding a gun to your head and causing you to sin. It's a choice, isn't it? To begin this process, I'm going to tell you that it all begins with knowing Jesus. But there's a difference in knowing Jesus and knowing about him. Now, I've known about Jesus all my life. I suppose even before I knew I was at church, I was at church. Just like these babies and and small children are here today. And I was there regularly. And I learned scripture, and I could quote scripture. And I knew the lingo. I could talk church. I could talk Bible. I knew about Jesus. But I'm going to tell you today... For most of my life, I did not know Jesus. And there's a big difference. You see, one is on a surface level where we can skirt along and look like what we think other people want us to look like, yet our heart's not right. And it takes some self-examination And it takes a willingness to look at the truth, no matter what it is, and to change when you need to change. And I will be the first to tell you that that is not always easy, but it is possible. 
Let me show you the difference. John 14 and verse 21, it says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. You see, I, I have underlined keepeth. And here's where it relates. I had his commandments. But if I didn't keep them, what did that say about me? This scripture says, He that keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Do you see how that works? If we keep his commandments, then it shows that we love him. And if we love him, he will manifest himself to us. Do you get the point that, that if we, we put in the effort, then he puts in the effort to meet us? And all of a sudden, we do know him, and we know a little more. And the more effort that we put in, the more we know. And the more we know, the more we want to put in. But it has to start with a choice. In Titus, the first chapter, in verse 16, it says, They profess that they know God. How many of us profess today that we know God? I would say all of you do. You're in a spot today that I can guarantee for the most part, that you would say, yeah, I know God. But here's the scary part. In works, they deny him. Being abominable and disobedient under every good work, reprobate. you see the difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing him? In Hebrews 6, or 11 and verse 6, says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, it, it does take something from us. The scripture says that the ones that please him are the ones that diligently seek him. It's important. How would you feel if you had a creation that didn't seek you? We want to feel important. And we haven't created anything. We're the creature. Yet we want to be important. We want to be revered. We want to be respected. And do we have any right to that at all? I would say no, we don't. Yet the subtlety of Satan convinces us, little by little, that we are important. That we're important. And we're not. In Psalms, the 22nd chapter, again in verse 26, the psalmist said... The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. It's all about seeking. We have to put in our part. And I'm gonna, I'll make a bold, a bold statement this morning. If you're not seeking God, you're really not interested in him. Not really. You may be interested in the status. 
the companionship, to be able to say, yeah, I'm part of this. But if you're not putting the work in, you're not interested in God. I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christian and your heart has not changed and you're not growing, that should be very concerning to you. There's a problem. It's easy to ignore, and, and I, I understand because I've lived it. I, I totally understand. But if you're in that spot, please don't do what I did and just ignore it and think, eh, it's okay. Because the consequences may not be now, but they will be later. And we're told how we need to live our life and what our purpose is. I want to point out just a few things this morning about Christ. And I want you to think about or remember what your answer was to why do you love Jesus? Why do you care about him? We need to have an attitude that Christ had. In Philippians, the second chapter in verse 5, it said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The thing that I want to point out is the first part of this that's underlined. And compare it to how we go about living our life. It's important to us sometimes to have a reputation. We want to draw attention to ourselves. We want applause from people. We want pats on the back. We want to be lifted up. Is that our nature? Is that Christ's nature? Is that the nature of Satan? I can tell you it's not the nature of Christ. He was already the creator. He's the king. Who had more right to have the reputation that it actually was his, but he didn't take it. He made himself of no reputation. And I'm going to tell you, when we are concerned about ourselves and our reputation and what we can gain in the world, whether we're seeking fame and fortune, whether just saying, look at me, that's not what we need to be doing. We need to serve like Christ. In John, the 13th chapter, in verse 14, it says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Now, there's some people that take this quite literally in washing one another's feet, but I believe that it was an example of service. This was a servant's job. 
Or if you want to think about it, back in the day, it might have been a slave's job. We think of a servant as someone willing to perform the duties, but a slave has to. They're owned. This was a slave's job to wash someone's feet. But the king of heaven, the creator of us, washed the feet. And he says he did it for an example. What does that tell us? That if we want to be like Christ, we need to serve. We need to be like Christ in his love. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and verse 1, it said, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You know, within that, I see gentleness and kindness and tenderness. Are you that way? Well, not generally, but when I'm with Christians, well, you see, that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to be that way everywhere. Because, you know, sometimes you may not can walk up and talk to somebody about the Scripture, but they can always see your life. And if you're living like Christ, then you're glorifying God. And don't think that they can't see that. But if you're glorifying yourself, or, at worst, Satan, don't think they can't see that either. And that's not what God has called us to do. Christ was gentle and meek. In Titus 3 and verse 1, it said, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but to be gentle, showing all meekness to, unto all men. Is that what your heart is today? Is this you? Do you speak no evil of, of all men? That is so easy to fall into. Gossip and slander, it doesn't matter of who. It's easy to do. What about being gentle and meek? When you feel a responsibility to go to someone who's strayed away, how do you approach them? Do you give them a piece of your mind? Do you land into them and tell them how wrong they are and how stupid they are and they're headed straight for hell? If you do that, what kind of response are you expecting? Are you expecting them to say, oh, well, here, let me go back with you? I think what you should expect is that you're pushing them further away. And what I would point out to you or ask you, did Christ ever approach a sinner by giving him a piece of his mind and telling them how rotten and dirty they were? 
I'm not going to say he didn't recognize it, but what I'm, I'm going to say is he would say, clean yourself up and go and sin no more. He didn't run from the truth, but he wasn't ugly. In 1 Peter, the second chapter, beginning at verse 18, will begin to tell us how Christ endured suffering. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Did you know that this is how Christ chose? Christ was subject to his master, which was his father. I told you he came to glorify God. In Hebrews 5 and verse 7, it talks about him when it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, with, with crying and tears, strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Do you remember when Christ was about to be crucified and he went to the garden? This is what it's talking about. The human side of Christ at that point, I'm going to tell you, did not want to go to the cross. And he offered up prayers to his Father who could save him. That was not God's will. But you know what happened? Verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Do you think that we can learn obedience by the things we suffer if we take on Christ and we live like him? I believe we can. I believe that's God's purpose. And I believe it's a mistake for people to think that they become a Christian and they don't suffer anymore. Because that's not true. God never promised that to us. But he did teach us how to endure. Verse 9, it says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all of them who obey him. There's another scripture in the Bible that says, After ye have suffered a little while, he will perfect you. He will ease your suffering. It's God's plan. Suffering is part of the world. And do you know that that's how we can glorify Christ? If we take it patiently and pleasantly, We're told to seek the lost in John 20 and verse 21. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. There is a purpose that Christ had, and if we are Christ-like, we will follow him. In Luke, the 19th chapter and verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost, and we should be concerned about those people. Now, you don't have to be a full-time evangelist. You don't even have to be somebody that stands on a corner. You don't have to be somebody that knocks on doors. But you know what you do have to do? You have to be like Christ. And that will show the world that God loves us and that we have a purpose. You imagine yourself standing here this morning 
What do you see? Do you see you or do you see Christ? You see, I think it's a very important question. That when you stand in front of the mirror at home, who do you see? What are you concerned about? Are you concerned about you or are you concerned about Jesus? In Galatians 20 and verse, or 2 and verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are called to a purpose, and it's to be like him. And there is no greater purpose that we can attain to not physically, and not spiritually. This is it. I hope you've enjoyed the study this morning. If you have not been living like Christ, I hope you've seen the importance of what God requires of us. Not just as a duty, but do you understand that, that what when we do that, that it glorifies Him? Because he created all of us to do that. And if we don't fulfill that purpose, then we're falling short of what he wants. If there's one here that needs the prayers of the church or one who has not obeyed the gospel this morning and would like to do that at this time, we'd ask either one to come forward as we stand and sing.